0: Ronananian. Here's what's going to convince people self-driving cars or electric vehicles are worthwhile. How cheap are they to fix and how often do they break? And that's really the key.
1: Here I come in my cheese
0: The Car Doctor. Look at the bracket the way it's it's bolted to the block. If I remember right, I think there's four holes, maybe it's two, but the bolts are recessed into the aluminum of the bracket. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991,
2: this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and
0: call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Ronnie. It's time to start your engines. The phone number here at The Car Doctor is 855-560-9900. I'm Ron and a.k.a. The Car Doctor, here to answer your questions and comments and whatever it is you want to talk about with your automobile, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Uh, Mr. Ray is on the other side of the glass, all rearing up and ready to go, I think. Uh, yes. Mr. Atwood is outside, uh, walking around somewhere, just uh, catching a breath of air, as uh, we get this second hour this weekend off to the off off to a good movement. A uh, recent article I read; it's out of the L.A. Times. It's a couple of weeks old now. I'm just getting to it at the bottom of the pile, as we get through it. Tech firms lead in voice race, and car makers reluctant to cede control to computing giants. And it starts out with, and it's it's it's. It's sort of a de- definition of where I think and where the industry thinks it's going. Um, it starts out with if you buy a new Nissan, you can tell Amazon's Alexa to unlock the car before you leave the house. If you buy a new Ford, you can sit behind the wheel and tell Alexa to order diapers or ask about the weather. That's nice too. But those capabilities, the article points out, are trivial compared with the kind of power that a true virtual personal assistant would have to understand your commands and improve the driving experience. They're talking about how cars are going to become so intertwined with us that we're we're going to be using them as personal assistance. I always think about that movie, and I'm not sure if it's really as appropriate as, but Logan's Run. Remember that TV movie? Uh, Logan's Run actually it was a with Michael York, and they lived in a futuristic society where everything was done for everybody, and you know you you merely asked for it, and it appeared to the point that but you had a, you were gone at 30, okay? You went for renewal or revival or something, and they had everybody convinced that you moved on to the next life, but they were really killing you, which I guess in a way you were moving on to the next life. But, um, you know, they evolved society to that point where everything was done for you. I'm not saying we're getting on the road to Logan's Run, but it just kind of makes you wonder, what are we doing here? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're overcomplicating the car. For the simple point of, and, and this is my issue, that, you know, People have a hard time with the expense of an automobile. I told I was telling the story of the shop this week. We finally figured out the two thousand eight expedition and fifteen hundred dollars worth of ABS controller coupled with brakes all the way around and some calipers and hoses and three thousand dollars later this two thousand and eight expedition has brakes. And, you know, how many people are ready for that? How many people can afford that? And it's 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 not that there's something wrong with that, but the, the, the price of the technology has dictated that's where it is. So how many of you want a car that you can sit and say, are the streets going to freeze? Play me the Jeff Parker station on Pandora. I'm reading from the article. How much washer fluid do I have left? Really? I really need to be able to ask the car, how much washer fluid do I have left because I'm too lazy to get out, lift the cap, and look? Have we, and then, you know what, the person that asks that question, how much washer fluid do I have left, will get in the car and drive to the gym to work out because they'll need the exercise. Um, you know, where's the thought process? Where are we going here? For 100 years, the article talks about, out of the L.A. Times, has been the king of personal transportation, but the industrial hierarchy has made it clear. The automaker said jump. Their supplier said how high. Now motor vehicles are on a transformative path that turns them into not just cars and trucks, but mobile network nodes. Bristling with sensors and touchscreens connected via broadband wireless networks to banks of cloud computers powered by human intelligence or powered by machine intelligence – destined to push human beings out of the driver's seat and take full operational control. Cars will be ruled by software. Well, they're ruled by software now. But the problem is we're turning more and more of that control over to the car. And, uh, you know, there's just, it's just wrong on so many levels. I can tell you from my seat, 43 years of repairing cars, it's getting harder and harder to repair them, but it's getting harder and harder to explain it to the younger kids coming up because the amount of dedication and time you have to put into understanding the car, it's, it, it gets to the point where it's not an 8-to-5 job, and it hasn't been an 8-to-5 job in a very long time, but now it's, you can't work more than 24 hours, 7 days a week. Yes, Mr. Ray?
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to ask, did you see uh, where Ford is now integrating Alexa into the next... Uh, yeah, and that's what this article... Yeah, 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 that's, but it's uh, like... Really? Do I need that? Yeah, it, it, I mean, I don't use the, uh, the the voice aspect in my Escape. I haven't used it since they've started putting it in, because it, it has a hard time sometimes determining what's going on with the road noise. Well, it's it's also too much technology. Well, that too. It's easier, know, easier for me to reach over and adjust the radio volume than, the, you know. The the
0: 2014 Escape that's in the family has auto park in it, you know, where you can hit the button and it will, it will parallel park. I've never used it. I've never had the time I'd, I'd probably like to do it once just to see it work I'd go somewhere set up two cones and you know but but you know there's something about driving a car that that sense of touch that 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 exhilaration of of coming around the turn and kind of putting your foot in it at sixty and you know to let the car take over to let the machine the computer take over the machine and you God, life is going to be boring. There's going to be no enthusiasm. Somebody was telling me the other day that they see the point in time where the Indy 500 is going to be run by electric vehicles. So, you know, we're going to hear this whoosh going around the track at Indy coming off the fat, the last turn. It's going to be this whoosh as it goes by. I mean, I can get that now if I go stand in the down in Penn Station in New York and I stand to the edge of the platform and the train comes in, you know that's going to be the sensation, whoosh, because that's really what it is. It trains an electric vehicle anyway. Uh, the diesel engine drives the the, the the generator for the for the electric. I I, I question what we're doing here, um, I, and I'll tell you what, you as a consumer, you've got to start to pay more attention to this. Um, you've, got to let your, you've got to let your people in office know more about what your concerns are because, uh, you know, I think they're leading us down, down the, the wrong path. They're, it's, it's getting to the point where the small person, and this is my biggest fear, that college student that doesn't have any money that needs that $500 car to get back and forth, which it, in my day that's what it was. Today that $500 car is a $5,000 car and the parts fall off of it faster than you can keep them on there sometimes. But, you know, now we're going to have electric vehicles that have so much, so much computer power in them that it's – they're going to become plastic devices that you're going to shred every three or four years. You can see it coming, that we're going to reinvent everything. And I'm not sure we're ready for this. I'm not sure we're ready for it economically. I'm not sure we're ready for it socially um, mm-hmm. because, you know, there's one thing that the car does do. It gets us out. It gets us to interact, and it gets us active. And I keep looking at all this technology, and I'm saying, is not sitting in traffic jams all that really important? Um, think of all the conversational exchanges you have sitting in traffic, right? Look at all the culture you exchange. Look at all the expressions you exchange. Um, look at all the poor people that come in from out of state into New York City. Think of them sitting in the gridlock traffic at the Lincoln Tunnel, and think of all those New Yorkers showing them what they think of them being there, taking up space. Ah. So... Um, if you haven't been there, you've got to be there to understand it. So, Mr. Ray knows what I'm talking about. Mr. Atwood knows what I'm talking about. Um, but, in any event, let's pull over and take a pause. When we come back, we'll go over to Frank in New Mexico, 855-560-9900. Ron Eenie, the car doctor, coming back right after this.
2: It on the wall, so you don't forget to call for car advice done right. 855 560 9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey,
0: let's get over and talk to Frank in New Mexico. Hey, Frank, you're on with Ron and any of the car doctors, sir. How can I help?
2: Oh, love the show every week, Ron. Thank you, sir. But the specific question was uh, 87 Buick Regal Body. Okay. Uh, the antenna, power antenna, started going up and down, couldn't stop without pulling the fuse and that disables the alarm and other stuff, right. radio. But so I'm just wondering, behind the glove box door, is that where the uh, plug for the uh, power out to the antenna can be disconnected?
0: Yes, I believe it's there. You're going to have to take out, if I remember it right, you're going to have to take out the kick panel that's down there, because I remember changing those. This is the antenna that's in the right front fender? Yes, sir. Right, so it's t- just look at the car carefully. It's either going to be through the... Let me think for a minute now, 87, if it's not taking out the kick panel below the glove box on the right side there, it's going to be through, no, I think it's through the inner fender well, Frank. Is it a steel inner fender well or a plastic inner fender well? Do you know? Under the front fender?
2: It seems to have a panel removable, seems to.
0: Right. Uh, Because I, I, I remember it both ways. That was 40 years ago, so I'm allowed to have a little memory lapse there.
2: But I remember that's, that's uh, be, behind that inner uh, fender panel is access direct access to the antenna. But I was thinking there's a junction inside the body behind the glove box. I have a diagram that sort of seems to indicate that.
0: Right, because that's where okay, and maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Right, there's a grommet that goes through the fu- that goes through the side of the firewall, and then it comes out. It's three wires. Um, is it three wires or five wires? I remember green, I remember white, I remember beige or a cream color, and then it has to plug in somewhere in a junction box. I believe you're correct, sir, that it's going to be... uh, Yeah, because
2: that'll just disconnect the power. I'll still have cable out to the antenna for signal, correct?
0: Correct, and just leave the antenna in the up position.
2: Yeah, Uh, because I'm not ready to tackle the antennas through the inner fender wheel right now. It's a little cold
0: uh, yeah, up. I don't remember that, and that's, I don't remember that being that hard. I think it's two 10 millimeters holding it onto an L-shaped bracket, and you, you, you need the special socket to take the top molding off the antenna, you, you know, the, uh, the trim piece, and you'll drop the antenna out through the bottom of the wheelhouse molding and then, you know, reverse it to install. So, yeah,
2: I've been watching the YouTube videos, and it's pretty yeah. straightforward. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward.
0: And as, as, as a matter of fact, what I would do is, if I remember this correctly, you'll find the connector, you know, where the where the power plugs into the junction box in that right kick panel area. Uh, when, I, when I changed the antennas, because that was in the same spot that it was on the Cadillacs way back in the day on, on certain models, I would cut the wire flush right at the antenna motor because I'm, I'm throwing it out anyway, right, and I'd, I'd get the new yeah. antenna, and then I would wrap the old wires around the new plug, and it would, you know, I'd have somebody feed the wire through the hole, and I'd have somebody else pull it on the other side so I could, if, if, it's, in a, if it's in a bad spot where I think it is, you could kind of use the old wires to sort of snake the other one along so you don't have to take out more of the fender or more of the uh, inner kick panel, and you might be able to sneak it in there. Um. Yeah. Using yeah. A lot of that.
2: Yeah. yeah just kind yeah, of okay. fish it along
0: that way, and that 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 might help. I'm not saying it will for sure, but that might help. I remember that back in the day, uh, we used to yeah. we used to throw those antennas out two, three, four a week. Um, you know, at one point. <laughs> yeah, they were. Did you ever take one of those open? You ever open up one of those?
2: No, I've been looking at them on YouTube. So you can get kits for it now, and it shows you how to do it. And I'm, I'm going to try it.
0: Yeah, it might be, and it might be worth. it, In which case, if that's the case, then don't cut the wire. Obviously, you know that. But um, I remember right. it was like it was like a nylon fishing string and two reels. And I, I yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I remember looking at it, going, "Really? This is this is you know my my high priced Cadillac is held together with you know fishing wire and you know two plastic reels like." I, pfft. You know um, what junk? Uh, you know we found a way yeah, to make well, it cheaper.
2: Just, me, me and my neighbors just love your show, man. Every week it's like going to school and learning something. Well, I,
0: I appreciate that. You know, I we 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 talk about are we are we being effective? Are we helping anybody? And you know, just when we have one of those moments when we kind of question it, we always get these phone calls, and we really appreciate that, Frank. We really do.
2: Yeah. So. Well, well, there's no no. Uh, what what I call normal radio stations broadcasting your show out here. Even though I've asked, so for the last nine years I've been re- putting it out to my neighbors here on a little limited basis because I'm a I'm a authorized downlinker, so I get your show off the receiver here. And gotcha. My my neighbors love it as well as I.
0: Well, hi to hi to Frank's neighbors. How about that? Where what part of New yeah. Mexico? What, what part of New Mexico are you in, Frank?
2: Uh we're out outside of Albuquerque here in a little hamlet called Armijo A R M I J O which means bearer of arms in Spanish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we could have some yeah. we could have some fun with that if this wasn't a car show. Um, we, yeah. we could we could go on but, and talk about that. Let me ask you a question. How how well do the cars keep out there? Is the environment really car friendly? I understand. Oh
2: yeah. You know yeah, they, 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 there's no they rust, don't get right? Yeah. Unless they're sitting in a bog or something, uh, which there are very few bogs out here, it's pretty dry. And uh, yeah, I don't have any other, We don't have any of the problems with, you know, road salt because it's rarely used. And uh, the bottoms stay rust free. They don't seem to collect uh, water in the panels unless you got a lot of old leaves packed in there and then the rain. But you know how that. But it's relatively, uh, you know compared to your area yeah
0: well yeah it's yeah out out here you know we kind of go into lockdown after nine o'clock um you you lock the doors you turn off the lights and you sit there and you watch the front door sometimes um maybe not that bad but you get the point um yeah but i'll tell you i'll tell you you
2: your help and i'm going to follow your recommendations there
0: you're very welcome frank and uh, thanks for being part of the car doctor family you know the 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 comments Frank made about the conditions for the cars just made me think. This week, I started to take the exhaust off the '72 Monte Carlo. For those of you just catching up, found a '72 Chevy Monte Carlo in a barn down in Texas. So, I guess it's coming up on a year ago now. and I want to get it out this spring, so I'm finally trying to finish it up. There's not it doesn't need a lot. It was a 43,000 mile car, and I want to replace the exhaust. I want to put factory duals on it, which I finally found a dual exhaust system that's not $900, that's not louder than loud. It's just going to be a nice dual exhaust. And I want to take off the front pipes at the, you know, at the manifolds. So let's see, 72, 82, 92, 2002, 2012. What are we, 45 years old? Do you know I walked up there with a 916 wrench, nine sixteen socket, and... Tighten the nuts just a tweak, give it a little, just to break the rust going in that direction, and the nuts backed right off. Uh, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, it just goes to show you what how bad we salt and rust and corrode these cars here in the Northeast. Uh, you know that that the exhaust, forty-five years old, and it just the nuts just came off with little or no effort. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's a shame of, uh, of of what we're of what we're doing to the car. So. Um, you know, just something to be mindful of. I, I, I'd love to see a New Mexico car. I can't imagine what that looks like, uh, the amount of salt that it doesn't have or the amount of corrosion that it doesn't have. I saw an article or a YouTube video, and it, it kind of got me thinking also. Um, Stacy David, the guy from Trucks, and he's got a couple of TV shows out there, and he, he did a piece a while back about Cash for Clunkers. Remember Cash for Clunkers, where the government, you know, 2009, they, they – took all the cars, you know, they offered cash to get the car off the road and turned in and scrapped and so forth. He made some very good points about how that affected the economy and, you know, what that did in terms of depriving salvage yards of usable, replaceable parts and how that affected small businesses. and. You know, used cars are part of the fabric of the economy of the auto repair industry, and they've got to be kept around. So, something to think about. I'm Ronan Annie the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
2: For the best in car advice, give Ron a call, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. I've got a toughie
0: in front of me. It's an email from uh, Joshua. I think I'm saying that right now. Uh, J-O-S-I-A-H. J-O-S-I-A-H. Is that
1: Josiah.
0: Josiah. I apologize, Josiah. And he says, um, hey, Ron, I've got a 98 Dodge Ram, 1500, 5.2 liter. I changed the IAC. I remember this email because I asked him why did he change the IAC. Um, when I start it up, it will run for about a second, then it dies, and it won't start back unless I put my foot on the gas and then start it. It will run as long as I hold the RPM. As soon as I let off the gas, it dies. Is there a relearn process that the PCM has to do so it will know that it has a new IAC? Um, no, there isn't. There, there is, but there isn't. There's nothing that critical on a 98. It's not that smart of a vehicle. So what I'd like to do, and I'm trying to remember the answer to the question because I asked him what led him to change the iac and i think it was that his neighbor said that the way the truck was running maybe it's a bad iac so they just randomly changed it i don't believe any other diagnosis was done so we can do this one of two ways take the iac back out and see where the pintle is all right this should be a pintle style idle air control valve meaning that it's it, it's sort of like it, it's sort of like a toilet plunger against the air opening for the throttle body all right, and I'm wondering if it's stuck all the way closed and it has to see or be, you know, change its position. So, take the IAC all the way out. Hold the IAC in one hand and take your thumb and forefinger on the other and hold the pintle or the nose of the idle air control valve and very gently, easy boy, wiggle it. Just give it a little wiggle side to side and apply a, a light amount of pressure. And you're trying to push the idle air control in. It's it's going to go in nice and slow, just just a touch. You know, change its position an eighth of an inch, uh, you know, um, a, a quarter of an inch at most. You don't want to go crazy with it. All right? You're trying to make that opening just a little bit bigger. All right? Put it back together. Now, before you put it back together, look inside the bore. Look inside the housing where the where the IAC motor goes. How clean is the housing? Is it spotless? You know, I have seen cases where the IAC motors are right up against the housing and there's so much carbon there and schmutz, again, an industry term, that the IAC motor will stick and it won't move and it won't be able to respond, okay? So make sure that you sit there and, you know, do that to it. The next thing you want to talk about doing is once you get it back in the car, start it up. It should have a bit of an idle to it. Now, shut it off and plug the IAC back in. Does the idle change? If the IAC, if the idle changes, and I'm thinking that it's probably going to be a fairly high idle. It depends upon where you've got that plunger situated. If the idle changes, then we know that the computer is driving it and changing it now. There's some scientific ways to do this. There, there are some IAC, Idle Air Control Motor Noid lights. They're blinking lights. You might find them at a local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. I'm not saying how cheap they're going to be, but I, and again, I don't know how deep into this you want to get in terms of having tools. Uh, you know, but you can find idle air control noid lights that will blink different colors. Red means this, green means that, and so on to tell if the drivers are working and doing what they're supposed to do. So, but you know, the idea is: is the IAC movable? Is it stuck? Is it jammed against carbon? All right. Next, how are the battery cables? How clean are? And I know this. You know, we're into a weird generation of vehicle here. A '98 Chrysler. They they seem to have their issues with battery terminal cleanliness, battery cable cleanliness, and what kind of condition the grounds were in. So make sure the ground strap coming off the battery where it goes to the block, where it goes to the fender, the body ground, the chassis ground, you may want to voltage drop grounds just to make sure that you have good contact and good cleanliness all the way across. If you get this to the point where it idles and the with, with the connector plugged in, if the truck has air conditioning, turn the air on. Do you hear a change in the RPM? Is it picking up the IAC? If you have a scan tool, and you have the ability to look at idle counts, do the idle counts change? Because that's part of this also. Last, okay, how dirty or how clean is the throttle body? All right, which is you know the, the plate that the throttle body sits against. Although I and I've got to make an assumption because it's an email. I don't get. To, I can't talk to you. Um, you know, is the throttle body dirty? That would be something to look at and consider also. And then definitely the last, before we get any deeper into diagnostics, where's the throttle position sensor voltage, all right? A throttle position sensor, that's the three-wire sensor that sits on the side of the throttle body. Uh, you know, it's five-volt reference, a ground, and a signal wire going back to the PCM. It's the way that the computer sees throttle position, all right, and it measures it off of voltage. All right, and, you you know, you're, you're looking to see, you know, just exactly where is the TPS. We could also be getting into do we have a bad TPS? When we haven't set the fault code yet. Is it is it lost? You know, a typical, a typical throttle position sensor setting, uh, you know, of this generation will be somewhere between a half and a volt. All right, and you can see that on a scan tool. You could also use that, do that, figuring it out with a digital volt ohm meter. Make sure you use a good quality meter. You don't want to create any issues. Uh, computer-wise, but, you know, we've got to look at the TPS and stop and consider that. Last. Okay, last again, last, right? Um, do we have any vacuum leaks? Y- you say you can get the car to run with your foot on the throttle, although a vacuum leak you would think would raise the idle speed all by itself and cause the RPM to go higher, but I'd be curious, do we have any massive leaks? Do we have something the computer can't comp- or the vehicle can't compensate for? And where's fuel trim when you get this warmed up? Can you get this to warm up? And if sitting there, whether you're holding your foot or whether you're idling on your own without it plugged in, where's fuel trim warmed up? Is it is it anywhere near the you know middle of the road? Is it zero plus or minus 10% short term and, and, and so forth? What's this computer trying to compensate or do? Um, those are the things you want to look for. And, you know, perhaps... Maybe if you still got the old one, you want to put the old idle air control back in and try some of those things and and work your way up to replacing it because not replacing it or replacing it without some testing, you know, we had a a 95 Mercury Grand Marquis in the shop this week. I'll tell you the story this way. And the customer's complaint was an intermittent no-charging condition. So we brought the car in, and, you know, naturally the charge light on the dashboard was out. The system was charging at 14.2 volts. Now I suspect from my notes and from my database, my own database on this car that when the vehicle gets under 11.8 volts it's going to turn on that charge light. I let it sit there in idle for the better part of 30 minutes, heavy electrical load, air conditioning, rear defogger, directionals, headlights, high beam, and I finally got the charging system to drop to 12.08 volts. Not acceptable. Um, I also saw a maximum amperage output of 91 amps. It's a 130-amp alternator. Now, I don't know what the demand was. I got no measurement there. But my point is, and here's where it got interesting, I figured for giggles because the customer also complained about an electrical smell. He was smelling something burning when the car turned on the light. I took my thermal imager. You know, it's just a heat gun. It tells you the temperature, surface temperature of various things. You think an alternator is supposed to be 422 degrees? Uh, you know, the internal windings were 422 degrees. And this is January, all right? And I realize the shop is warm. You know, the heat's on. It's 65, 68 degrees in there. But 420-something degrees out of the alternator? And I explained it to Lou. It's actually Lou who used to work for us. We're, we work on his cars now. And uh, he said, you think it's supposed to be that hot? Huh? I said, gee, Lou, I don't know. I don't have any database that goes back to a known good alternator of 422 degrees. So I put an alternator in it. I figured the 12 volts... Um, you know, the high temp, the smell, it all made sense. I put an alternator in it. I was right, because now it'll hold 14.2 volts all day long and charge 118 amps, so I guess that alternator didn't even have the amperage output, and it's got a maximum temperature right now going on of about 272 degrees. That was the high. So my point is, as in your IAC, that... I can now tell you what known good is because I've tested, I've recorded, I've measured, and I've documented, and that's, you know, fixing cars isn't calling up somebody and saying, hey, what part do I change? You got to know why you're changing it because you can't believe the part, every part, is absolutely perfect anymore. There's still got to be some testing and an understanding of how it works. So just my two cents. If that doesn't do it for you, now you got to get on the phone and we got to talk, and I promise I'll be easy. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron Any Andy, and the Car Doctor coming
2: back right after this. When
1: I finally
2: got that
1: big Hey, welcome
0: back. Ron and the Car Doctor. Let's go over and talk to Brad in Colorado. Some comments about technology. Brad, welcome to the car doctor, sir. What's going on?
1: How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good, man. What's cooking?
1: Anyway, um, I have been buying 60s Chevrolets okay. and doing some minor work on them and reselling them at a decent profit, and I love older cars. They're so much easier to work on than new ones.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there, there, there's something, it's like a farmer working in the dirt to grow plants. You know, there's something enriching about, you know, rust and knuckles and bolts, and, you know, there's something... Very- I, I live
1: in I live in southeastern Colorado, and and I buy cars around from around here or Arizona because of what you talked about earlier about the the manifold bolt, yeah. you know, or the manifold not coming right off. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So yeah. I,
1: you know, I haven't run into a bunch of rust or anything like that because I only you know buy in a certain area and, and make sure that the car's from that certain area.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's what? What sort of what sort of Chevys are? You, if any particular, is it muscle cars or just? Well, I,
1: I, I am, I am. Um, I found a niche. Corvairs are the cheapest, best buy there are.
0: How did I know it was going to be Corvairs? You know, a very, right. a, a very misunderstood car, but a great car, really and truly.
1: Well, you know, it's it's based on an aircraft engine and a lot of people don't understand them and they're afraid of them. And I've taken them totally apart and resealed them. I've had like nine so far over, over my 60 years. Yeah. And, um, I, I fell in love in 82 and bought my first convertible Corvair for a couple grand. And, um, I drove it for seven or eight years and, it got wrecked and 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 this was a Michigan. it was a california car but the salt destroyed it i had to drive it one winter because my um, winter corvair um, got wrecked by a drunk driver and i had to i had to drive my summer one for a few months in the salt and it destroyed it yeah yeah but anyway i I've, I've been doing very well at my little enterprise and I've, I've uh, I bought two last year and sold two, and did pretty well on them. I didn't I didn't, you know, hold out for big money, but I could have held out for more money, right. on each one of them. But, but it was a good turnover, and and now I've got a line of credit at the bank, and I could just, you know, let me overdraw my checking account whatever I want and go buy a car.
0: And you you look at that and you say to yourself, and my to go back to my other comment. Brad, about cash for clunkers, right? Imagine if it was geared towards. Imagine if in 1972 there was a cash for clunkers program, and all the all the muscle cars would have gone, and all the early 60s cars would have gone, and and none of this industry would be around, and, and nobody would be here to enjoy them. And uh, think of the economy of it would affect that guys like you can't do what you're doing. And, and make a living at it and get some fulfillment. And, you know, isn't that why we're here on the planet, to get some fulfillment while we can, when we can? Brad, I appreciate the call. Let me pull over and take this last pause. And uh, thanks for being part of the Car Doctor family. I'm Ron and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this.
1: Don't love me,
0: hey, welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor, closing it out. Let's go over and talk to Pauline in Massachusetts in an 07 Honda Odyssey. Pauline, how can I help?
3: Yes. I had problems this summer with the power steering going on my car. Okay. And I, they towed it to the garage, and they did the fluid and whatever they had to do. Right. And it cost me about, like, $400 for them to do whatever needed to be done. Right. Shortly afterwards, every time you'd put your foot on the brake pedal... And you'd go to stop the car. It would make this hissing sound. And so I took it to the Honda dealer, and he couldn't put his finger on it. But then they checked it out, and he said that it was the wrong power steering stuff that had been put in. So they recommended it, changing the the fluid. Okay. And now they charged me like $600 to do this.
1: Okay. And let now me,
3: today, yeah, I start my car up, and the noise that it was making was crazy. And I went to the garage, and he needed power steering. So I'm like, should I be worried about little stuff like this, or?
0: Well, let's 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 back up real quick. So first of all, 05 through probably 2010 Odysseys and some of the Accords have known issues. Two areas of power steering. One. The reservoir is a problem where it will restrict fluid to the pump, make noise, cause premature pump failure. So I'm hoping that as part of the pump repair or the system repair, they put a new Honda power steering pump in. Uh, Not a pump, but a reservoir in to make sure that the fluid is clean and being dispensed properly. That's number one. There's actually a bulletin from Honda out. If you have a pencil, the bulletin number was uh, 07-005, and it was dated August of 2009, and it talks about this particular problem, whining and humming from the power steering. That's number one. Number two, it has to be Honda or the equivalent power steering fluid. Honda is very, very specific about correct or their type of power steering fluid. Um, Idumetsu makes it, uh, you can, it doesn't have to be from Honda, but it has to be to Honda specification. So be sure this garage used correct power steering fluid. Number three, it sounds like there's a leak in the system. So let's do an evaluation. If they don't see any fluid leaks, but it's still using or losing fluid, ask them to look behind the bellows of the steering rack itself. One of the internal rack seals may be leaking, and that's going to lead to bigger problems. I'm Ron in the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive; they're priceless.